Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. I don't know whether or not you're going to make more money. I would certainly inquire about what profession the person was in. What's the ceiling? What, what are we looking at as the, right? We're going to look at it tactically, okay? Because yeah. there's simple things people can do, right? But the work that we're going to do is looking at what are the motivations for making more money if it's not survival, Mm -hmm. what's feeding it, that motivational source, is it a healthy fuel or is it an unhealthy fuel? Because I don't want you to make more money if we're just going to like leverage shame and like that's not helping, right? So I want to look at the fuel source and I want to deeply understand your relationship to money. Where did it come from? How did you get informed around money? What shaped you as a kid around money so that we can understand, okay, if you really just want to tactically earn more money, it's doable. There's more money to be earned out there. So what's getting in the way? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hey, it's Srini. So I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you're listening to the show. And if you found the podcast fascinating, instructive, inspiring, or maybe even heartwarming, if there's one person you could think of who'd appreciate our show, a friend or a family member, take a moment and share the show with them because good ideas are meant to be shared. Sarah, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually came across your story by way of somebody on your team who wrote in. And when I did some digging, as we were saying just before we hit record here, I liked the fact that your work was backed by research, that you were actually a licensed therapist, uh, as opposed to, you know, spouting, you know, inspirational psychobabble that doesn't lead to any real results. But before we get into your work, uh, I want to start by asking you, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents when you were growing up that shaped and influenced who you've become and what you've decided to do with your life? Okay. I love, I, I, I love your questions. Um, okay. So I'm going to separate them out and each person, mm-hmm. I think I can say something that's quite authentic. So from my mother, I think what she taught me was that it's never too late to start over. Mm. And from my father, I learned that you can 
survive much more than you think you can. So how did that impact, uh, you know, sort of the, the direction that your life has taken? Um, well, unconsciously, I think profoundly. Consciously, I probably never really thought about it at any level until, you know, I'm in my mid-40s now. Um, and that seems to come, at least for women, like with a very reflective stance and my experience working with men, it's the same thing. So, you know, that midlife sort of gives you a perch to kind of look back on. Um, mm -hmm. And so now like turning a conscious eye to it, I see really clearly that it like, you know, it's led to this ability. I think this ability that I have to um, just keep going, just keep on taking what unfolds in front of you and metabolize it and use it as fuel. And I think from really important from my mother is that, you know, I, I watched her as the same gendered child um, reinvent a life at 55. She and my mm -hmm. father separated. Um, and so that just relieved me unconsciously of any sense that sometimes people get like, I'm too old or it's too late exactly. or, you know, all of that. For me, that just didn't ever dawn on me. Mm -hmm. Didn't how do cross you, my how, how do you, mind. Yeah, I guess the, the question for me is like, how do people undo that idea that that narrative that it is too late i mean i think one of the biggest reasons we you know for me the motivation for creating this conference that we're, we're having in april was the idea that you know your reality is malleable but you spent your entire life believing that it's fixed and yet you know millions of people believe exactly what you're saying you didn't and i wonder you know if you've gotten to the point in adult life where you're stuck with this belief that wait a minute you can't go up and upend something, you know, particularly you go up in an Indian family. If we tell our parents, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to quit this crazy job as a doctor or whatever, and go pursue something that has no guarantee. Our parents would question our minds. I mean, they question our sanity, even when we do it, when we're young. It's true. So how do we do it? How do we undo it? Yeah. How do you unwind that, that narrative? How do you unwind that belief? Well, the first thing is it's a lot of work. And the second thing is, is that most of us at least the people that I work with and my experience as a human um, is that the things that really are at the helm of our directional compass, we aren't actually aware of. They are in the unconscious. So the first thing is, is you have to just become aware of what it is. I reference it as like these sabotaging patterns and these kinds of beliefs. Often they hide in, I always ask clients, do you live by a motto? Um, and what I'm listening for isn't something, I mean, it's great to hear it from the vantage point of like, oh, wow, this really like is an anthem they live by, but I'm actually listening for a different level of messages there, um, kind of the underbelly of it. So a lot of times you're going to come across these kinds of limiting beliefs that they're not even aware of by getting to unconscious content. Um, and mm -hmm. then it's a lot of work. You, uh, uh, 
not always. There's, a, there's an element of the unconscious that's just completely adaptive to how our brain works. But there is a region of our unconscious that's governed by sort of whatever our traumas were, right? And I follow the Gabor Mate theory of trauma. Trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what happens inside of you. And so mm-hmm. that's a big enough net that everybody's got something. And yeah. right, uh, I had to find one that was big enough uh, to encompass all of it. Um, and so, you know, eventually you're going to find these these um, thought patterns, belief patterns, behavioral patterns. Our habits hide a lot of these kinds of beliefs. So then you're going to have to work tirelessly and doggedly to first learn how to observe when it's happening, then you can see it as it's happening, then you can get a shoulder length ahead of it. But that process is grueling. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, as somebody who's a therapist who has been trained professionally to help people with these kinds of issues, are you immune to them? Or do you find yourself wrestling with the same issues that you are helping your clients and patients with? Oh, yeah, no. Not immune. Um, not immune at all. I am more human than otherwise. And the goal isn't immunity, right? So, because that still goes on this spectrum of trying to find um, like a cure for our human condition. It's, it's not immunity. Nobody's immune. And a lot of times, once I'm working with somebody, you can see elements of shame sort of melt away because I really believe this. And I'm very honest. I mean, I don't make the therapy hour about me by a long shot. I'm sure my patients would attest like, yeah, she's very, you know, kind of keeps herself out of it. But I do reference like, um, you know, I get it. This is really hard. I got all my own shit. I got my own stuff that holds me back. Um, so yeah, no, unfortunately, were it to be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what do you think the role of parents, uh, in all of this is, what do you think the role of schools is in all of this? And one thing that I think that when I look back now at adulthood and I think about sort of what the role of schools is and and teaching people how to manage their psychology, the the, the role seems like absolutely nothing. Like I've said that to me, a high school guidance counselor was like a glorified secretary that helped me plan my schedule. No offense to those of you who are listening who are high school guidance counselors, but it, it seems like this is a really, really big issue that is left out of our childhood. Like we don't talk about mental health in the Indian community. It's incredibly taboo and it's incredibly mm. stigmatized. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I literally for probably 36 years of my life thought therapy was for crazy people until I ended up in a therapist office. And I was like, why the hell did I wait so long to do this? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you had that experience. That's great. Um, especially to have as your first experience. That's such a great question about, um, especially the one about the role of schools. You know, it's hard for me as a parent and an imperfect one at that to kind of like theoretically pontificate about what the role of parents is because generally what I've found is that at the heart of most parents um, it are, are people who really are doing their best and they love their children and they want the best for their children. So usually I try and parent 
work to really kind of, again, work with all the things you're touching on that are really important. Like there's cultural layers, there's um, ethnic layers, there's religious layers, there's gender layers, right? So I really kind of try to take it case by case by case. Um, I know for me as a parent, I'm trying to hold, you know, some really firm non-negotiable boundaries while being flexible enough to stay open to who my kid is. And, you know, I have an 11 year old and, um, that's unfolding and it's ever changing. And so I have to be flexible with that. And lots of things that I thought theoretically would be something I would either something my parents did that I would carry on or something they didn't do that I would have done. And, you know, I mean, as life teaches you, what the hell did I know when it was theoretical, (laughs) right? Um, But the school thing is really interesting because um, they spend the most hours there, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think that, um, and it, it inherently gets also tied up in a kind of have and have not dialogue. So a lot of times when I'm talking about this, I hear from people and they're like, well, yeah, that's great if you can afford, you know, a private school. And it's true. Um, But the, the education system is a space where if you can choose a charter school, if you're in a space where you can choose a private school, that there's a lot of options of how your child's neurobiology, how their curiosity, how they approach learning versus thinking. Like I didn't learn how to think until Mm -hmm. I was a freshman at Georgetown. And I sat in on the, uh, there's a class, you know, it's a Jesuit university. There's a class that every single freshman when I was there had to take, and it's called the problem of God. And you Mm -hmm. study Nietzsche and atheists. And to me, that was mind blowing. It was like, I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, they don't want me to learn. They want me to think. And that's when I was like, oh, I could get, I was a mediocre student in high school and, and entirely disengaged from the learning process. And my high school was a great high school. I loved my high school. But for whatever reason, the learning style in a bunch of those classes didn't engage me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got to college and it was really a different ball game. That um, really sparked my passion. So for me, I chose a school in Honolulu for my kid that's a progressive education model, and it's worked really well for him, for who he is. And I see him as a totally different learner than I was as a kid, and especially, I mean, he's in fifth grade, and I remember fifth, like we have long-term memory at fifth grade. I remember Uh fifth grade, and I remember how checked out I was. I remember a very awkward sex education tape. That's the extent of my, my memory from fifth grade. And I remember I quickly figured out that I was not cool and that there were cool people. Oh my and, God, and, that is you know, hysterical. So you were right on cue because in fifth grade, you're in latency age. So you're just on the cusp of puberty unless you had puberty sort of early. You know, we all know those kids in our circle when we were growing up who did. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to, it's like, you're going to remember the, the sex ed class that made sex sound awful um, and sterile and routine. <laughs> and then, yes, you're going to be worried about the pack that you fit in. 
So you were completely mm-hmm. on time. <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, it's funny because you're talking about uh, having, you know, a kid be able to go to sort of a progressive school. And I, in a lot of ways, I see education as a one size fits all solution. And one of the other things that, you know, as you were saying that I think about is the fact that being able to deal with your mental health, it seems like it's really the only something that people of privilege really have the luxury of, uh, yes. unfortunately. I just, and and I, I wonder, you know, what do you think about that? How do you deal with that issue? Because it seems like the people who really probably could benefit more so than the people of privilege are those who come from far less privileged circumstances. So I, you know, I think about, I, I, I posted this story on Facebook about you know, your limitations versus the limitations of, you know, people who have real ones. So, you know, I had this driver in India when I was there for about uh, four months for a surf, or not four months, four weeks for a surf trip. And my cousin was telling me, he said, look, what you get paid to do in a one hour talk, this guy lives off of for an entire year. And you know what he does? He drives up a treacherous mountain road nine hours each way to take tourists up this mountain three to four times a week. And I, of all the pictures that I wanted to get printed and framed, that was the one that I intended to do that with, which I, I will, mainly because I wanted that as a perpetual reminder of how much easier I have it than that guy does. Mm-hmm. Perspective is everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you're totally right. Um, it's true. And so, you know, when you're in training, you're often, like I was working in community mental health clinics and in patient settings. I did some forensics, so I was in prisons and jails. So you're in all these settings and you get trained in this um, sort of battleground where you're right, that the kind of socioeconomic status is what either gets you past the the uh, velvet ropes or not. And um, so it's true. I do think we're in a period of time where um, mental health is being destigmatized in ways this is probably, um, we probably owe a thanks to social media in this regard. And I don't have many thanks to social media, but this is one of them. Um, yeah. Where, you know, people are finding a forum to normalize the experiences of our human condition. And for me, you know, I really shifted a couple of years ago my focus entirely away from sort of seeking out what is wrong with people and pathology into wellness. Mm -hmm. And then I want to say something to your really good question that was embedded in there, which is how do you deal with this as a therapist, this sort of inherent baked in um, problem that the people that need good psychiatric and psychological care have the least access to it. So for me, ever since I opened a private practice, I take a certain number of people per, you know, a percentage per my whole roster of people for like $20 a session. So Mm. that's how I do it. Everybody does it differently, right? Some people do volunteer work. Some people, you know, figure out that way. But for me, when I became really clear that in order to work in the realm that felt like it was really my strength, I was going to have a private practice. And that was going to necessitate, you know, working with people that could pay for it. So that's how I solved it. And, um, you know, it's been, 
it's been for me a good solution. So I have one other question about parenting, and I've yet to find an answer to this question. It's it's funny because I've heard so many different things about parenting. Despite not being a parent, to me, this is one of those things that I, I, I think, like you, I'm delusional in thinking that, okay, I'm going to have talked to all these people, so I'll be this very self-actualized, enlightened parent. But then people like Philip McKernan, who, you know, the guy could read a phone book and it's inspiring. Like, my favorite thing he's ever said about parenting is, like, no matter what you do, you're going to fuck your kids up. And Oh, you're going to fuck them up big time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the question that I, I've asked a number of people in your position is, how is it that you can have two kids who are raised in the exact same environment with the exact same parents who are given the exact same advice and end up with wildly different results based on that advice? Me and my sister are a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. 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 So how does yeah, that I'm happen? The, I'm the that happen? So I totally get it. Um, yeah. I don't know that I have the definitive answer on that, but I would say this because I have an opinion on anything, right? Um, But this is just an opinion. I would say my experience has been that we come to the world with a temperament and temperament is fixed. Personality develops, you know, character develops over time. And then you layer in as well that we have genetic components, right? So, certain genetics get expressed, you know, certain ways, then you have the personality that develops over time as it interacts with its ever-widening environment. But you also, you know, at the time of birth, you've been forming for nine months. And epigenetically, that's also been forming you. And so, I think we come to the world with temperament styles. And those temperament styles are fixed. The role of the parent is to leverage its upside and mitigate its downside. And every temperament style has two sides to the coin. One side, it's going to be your greatest strength. You flip that same coin over and it's going to be your biggest vulnerability. Hmm. It's funny because I, I think for me, I always say, you know, I dealt with attention issues and a short attention span my entire life. Yet the the, the, the flip side of that very thing is the fact that I have that allows me to focus intensely on things I care about in a way that I couldn't um, on things I don't give a shit about. Yeah, 100%. And universally, you're going to, I have found, and I'm not the only one that's found this, that kids who in childhood, quote unquote, had attention problems, I would even argue with that phrase, that's that you didn't fit a norm that has been called the preferred attention style. Um, But that doesn't mean you actually, and you might have, you might have been the small percentage of people when I did psych testing um, that said, wow, this really is sort of a neurologic attention issue happening. That happened very rarely in my practice, um, assessing people in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of us have our style. If we don't fit the bell curve, then we have a problem. Uh, then we grow up with this narrative, I had attention problems. I would say probably your attention style is the same attention style that you see in a lot of entrepreneurs. And actually, it's often paired when at the CEO level, it's usually paired with some sort of dyslexic process in there as well. It seems like the dyslexic brain um, learns how to read a room and see a gestalt, see the whole system in a way that people who process things typically when it comes to reading don't. And you later on see them age into these sort of visionary styles, this charming 
leadership ability and all these um, these secondary muscles that developed as a result of a quote disorder that are mm. now their best asset. And I think you're probably describing that you are another one of those people in in my experience of a long lineage of people who, as a kid, it was a problem, and as an adult, it's your cash, it's your golden goose. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because I, I think Simon Sinek told me once, he said, your why is that you're obsessed with people who are good at unusual things. And when awesome. I look back at all the people I interviewed, I said, yeah, that's a pretty accurate reflection of, of what I've done with my career. And it's, it's, I didn't recognize that until about a couple of months ago. Uh, but uh, one other, other thing I, I wonder about this, uh, you were talking about uh, a couple of things. One, you mentioned, you know, social media has been a, you know, good thing in terms of destigmatizing mental health. To me, there's a paradox at play here because social media has also been one of the greatest causes of a lot of mental health issues. And I can I can tell you this because every time I see my literary agent share a book by you know one of her other clients, many some of who have been guests here, I think to myself, where did I fuck up? Because this person sold a million books. Like, why am I not doing that? And I, I noticed, I was like, wow, this mm. is fueling my tendencies for envy and comparison, which are wildly inaccurate. But I, so I wonder, you know, when you look at it from the mental health perspective, yes, we're able to destigmatize it by having a conversation about it. And on the flip side of that, a lot of this is contributing to our mental health issues. Yeah, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. And I've like so many thoughts. Okay. Um, let me be clear right from the start that I am the kind of um, person who came reluctantly to social media. And like, I'm, I'm essentially an introvert that is, can be very outgoing. Um, so I came very reluctantly and I knew it was holding me back when I thought about what, I, when I think, so I'm 44, I thought, okay, let's say, let's say you get 10 more years. Let's say that was your checkout time. What would swing for the fences look like? And for me, I want, you know, I want to write a book. And there's, I know there's lots of people like um, the late, great Anthony Bourdain who like wrote one article for a free magazine and then 12 days later had a book deal. That hasn't been my narrative. So I'm going to have to <laughs> slog it out like the rest of them. And uh, I'm going to go 18 rounds. And, um, and that's all right. So... I was like, I got to get in the game because everybody I spoke to was like, you have to essentially have like an audience, right? So here I am. I'm in the game now. I've made some provisions. I have somebody that I work with that does a lot of the stuff that feels like I don't want to do it or I don't want to take the time to do it. So I've made some concessions and here I am. And so I come reluctantly for all the reasons you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I don't know that our job or my job is to even reconcile that that is true, that yet again, here is another example of how something has, it's a coin and on one side, it has all this great stuff and then you flip it over and on the other side, it is the seedy underbelly of our human tendencies. I can't reconcile that. But what I can do as a human and as a therapist is like if I were working with you, we would really look at that and we would start to take that pathway backwards. That's a root system that's showing you spaces inside yourself that have, I call them injuries um, or, you know, um, pain points. 
And it's a way to continue to learn about ourselves. You know, like we can't control the keyboard warriors. We can't, we, we, we can't even really do anything about it. Um, but it's here. And, you know, now if we're talking about kids, like my kid isn't on social media, um, you know, you got to come up with provisions to help your children navigate this because a child's brain isn't as developed as an adult brain and neither is their emotional and psychological interior. And so they are still sort of, they are, um, it's like they're, they're exoskeletal, but they don't have a skeleton. They are fragile. Their, their soft underbelly is exposed all the time. And we have to protect them from that. But as an adult, you know, it's enter at your own risk. Know that you're going to, you're going to bump up against yourself in there and you're going to bump up against everybody else's stuff. Mm -hmm. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So yeah, it's interesting to hear, hear you talk about this. I mean, I know this sort of, sort of audience building thing, obviously, because I've lived it. You know, I've gotten the book deal. I I've do. done all that. And I, I thought it was going to mentally solve. Like, so we'll, we'll get to this because this is something that I, I've been thinking about is, you know, Ryan Holiday was here um, just a few weeks ago. And the funny thing is he said, like, no account, no accomplishment is going to make you feel as good as you think it will. And I'm thinking to myself, and literally the next day, Ryan posted a, a picture on Instagram of it, you know his eighth book hitting the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, I'm struggling to get past, you know, like a, a proposal for another book deal on book number three. Uh, that's, you know, a whole other aside. But I think that this is something and, and I came across this quote that I think is very relevant. So one of the things that you said earlier is that there's certain aspects of our personality and temperament that are fixed. And yet every aspect of our culture today, every aspect of this sort of self-improvement narrative, I mean, hell, the entire unmistakable creative is about becoming this sort of better idealized version of you that you aren't today. And so this quote is something that I came across in uh, Heather Havleski's latest book, you know, what if this were enough? And she said, there is not a better version of you waiting in the future. The best version of you is who you are right here, right now in this fucked up, impatient, imperfect, sublime moment. Shut out the noise and enjoy exactly who you are and what you have right here, right now. And yet that is so Boom. hard to do. That is so difficult uh, to do because what so do we do? We listen to people like you come and talk to people <laughs> like me specifically because we're not okay with who we are today. And because we believe that there is some better version of us in the future that is better looking, has more money, whatever it is, like this external accomplishment. So how, as somebody who is a therapist who does help people change their lives, I, I you literally, I've, I thought of the title in my head for your interview, and that is how do you change your life without losing your mind? Oh my God, that's such a good title. Sometimes I get title envy. That's one of them. Um, <laughs> so good. Um, and it just rolled right off your tongue. Um, that's such a great, it is really a, it's a, you know, it's a great question. And the truth is, so for me, um, I am in the industry of change. That's the game I'm in. People come to me because they want to change something. But once they're in my lair, as I like to call it, um, they very quickly realize that my motto is that it is not in the doing, it is in the being. And people want homework from me and they want like all these like actionable things. And most of the time, once you've spent any stretch of time working with me, you're going to realize that I don't think you're broken. I don't actually think you need improvement. That is the guise under which you came to me. Change will happen because once we start to deeply self-observe, and 
um, have radical self-awareness, things lift. We move through traumas. We heal some scar tissue. We challenge ourselves in ways that grow grows resiliency and grit. So we grow and we change, but it it's, you know, it's, um, that's not, that's destination oriented. And I'm not, I've worked tired. Well, first of all, let me say this in my practice, you pay me <laughs> to not be destination addicted in my personal life. It's something I've worked 44 years, both consciously and unconsciously, to yeah. release myself from that vice grip. That uh -huh. when I get there, I'll be fill in the blank. It's all bullshit. It's not true. You won't be. When you get eight New York Times bestsellers, you're going to go home and still inhabit the carcass that you're walking around in right now. And the basic elements of that is like, it's you against you. It's an mm -hmm. inside job. So, you know, um, but I do believe and I, I feel in my own life as a person uh, and I see this with the people who uh, end up in my office that their change happens, but it doesn't, it isn't actually my goal. You know, it's not what I go in looking for. What I go in looking for is connection because it's always the relationship that heals, basically. And I go in looking to be um, freakishly curious about the parts of yourself that you aren't even aware of right now. And those are my guiding first principles when we're working together. Mm. Um, and then, you know, my experience has been that we keep evolving or we devolve. You know, yeah. I mean, I've certainly, we have lots of examples currently of people devolving right in front of our eyes. Mm. And, um, you know, but there's always movement. Change is always happening. Yeah. So it's interesting because as you're saying that, you know, I know that you work with Stephen at the Flow Research Collective, which is all about high performance. So yes. how do those two things coexist? How do you aim to achieve the kinds of levels of performance that, you know, people who Stephen writes about, Stephen talks about, achieve? You know, we're talking, you know, sort of the Peter Diamandis's of the world, the Elon Musk's, the crazy surfers and snowboarders who are doing these just insane things, which are, you know, levels of performance and destinations that everybody's trying to reach. How do you have those two things coexist? They coexist perfectly. In fact, I'd argue that you can't have one without the other. If you take it this way, when, we, when I talk about radical self-awareness, like some of the levels that I'm talking about are at the self-regulation level literally the central nervous system, right? We can enter self-awareness. We can do it through embodiment. We can do it through breath. Sometimes you do it through pain. Sometimes you do it through loss. Sometimes you do it through envy. You enter it in all these different arenas, right? And risk-taking is one that puts you right there. You cannot avoid yourself when all the chips are on the line. You can't. It's just you up against you. And so to me, this work, 
And I'm so like, uh, you know, the turn of events of, of connecting up with Steven and getting to be part of what he's building at the Flow Research Collective. I'm psyched because for a long time, I was working in my private practice this way with executives um, in Honolulu, where I live, um, and thinking to myself, like, I didn't even know about this world, really. You know, this is like five years ago. And then I read one of his books, and then I was like, oh, this is like exactly what I'm doing, but at this deeply psychological level. So to me, like, I'm your ace in the hole if performance is your gig because you can't escape you at every single level. You can think that you can, but you can't. And eventually everybody comes up against the edges of their, whether it's comfort zone or skill or belief in self, you you find your edges when you're striving for greatness. Mm. Wow. That's where I come in. Wow. So I have one question about this related to performance. Then I want to actually go into a potentially tactical example, which might be difficult given what it is, but why do you get sort of varying degrees of performance? So, you know, for example, you know, multiple people could go to Steven zero to dangerous seminar. Some will come home and within weeks, they will be this completely transformed person or, or they will be the kind of person who didn't need to go there in the first place, but did. And it was sort of an amplifier. And I think this is just literally the entire self-development industry. And so I wonder, you know, why do you get that? Like what happens? Why is it, for example, that, you know, two people could take an online course or even two people could listen to this interview and one will walk away with a significant improvement and another will just kind of stay in this sort of cycle of, okay, I need to find the next fix. You know, it's, it's just an awesome question that I don't, I don't know that I've ever been asked that way, but now that you've asked it, I'm happy. Um, and I have a couple things. So one is it like, you know, if you show up to a house with a hammer, you're going to find nails or whatever that phrase is. Right. So I'm a shrink. So for me, um, it's mindset, it's psychology, it's what's between the ears. And, um, you know, you can, most of us can sort of ride into sometimes our, even our middle age kind of on what we developed in our childhood, you know, our style of orbiting in the world, but eventually the train stops and you got to kind of update and you have to learn if the next level of performance, um, whatever that may be, you know, you may be at any level in your life, there's a next level. Uh, that's why I opened the hour saying, you know, the thing that I saw from my mother is that you can reinvent yourself at any time. Mm-hmm. It's really true. And um, so that's sort of the, the first thing is that to me, the rubber meets the road with mindset and psychology. I have a particular sort of, I think, blend of talent and and fascination with how our unconscious operates. I think it's where real work happens. So that's my shtick, but lots of people have a different space they like to work in. Right. And that's great. But then you touched on something else that's there. I have observed that, and and this is not like for every science buff out there, like I haven't done like double blind studies. This is just anecdotal. Um, But what I've found is that there's also people who have um, people reveal their sort of um, their preference 
for growth and change. And some people are transformers and some people are evolvers. The vast majority of us are evolvers. When you watch a, we follow, I am one of them. uh, I have to do things over and over and over again to learn. And um, I require, you know, time and reflection. That's sort of how I work. But there are people who are transformers. These are the people who, you know, do kind of, they, you'll see it in the, um, uh, I used to see it all the time when I was working like in addiction treatment centers. Like some people would, you know, come, come in once into an inpatient setting, they'd stay 30 days and, you know, they'd, you know, next thing you knew, they were stringing together a decade of kind of this new life. Um, but most people had to kind of keep coming back, right? And and cobbling together the the learning pattern. So you, you get lots of different types. And then there are people for whom when I uncover the psychology piece of it, here's the hard cold truth. A lot of people say they will do whatever it takes. You know, mm-hmm. it takes what it takes, right? Um, but actually, they're busy, you know, doing their psychology, which is mostly unconscious, whether it's they're coming up with excuses or they sabotage themselves through, you know, time management issues or substance abuses, or they, and they have these habits and patterns and belief systems that they're not even aware of while they're consciously saying, I would do whatever it takes. I would this, I was that. But when it really gets down to what it would take, they don't actually want to do that. And part of the role of a therapist is when you see that happening, it's not pleasant. And I don't like having to say to people, I actually think you wouldn't do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And here are five examples. But usually, you know, I have found over the years that people can hear it once they really are connected to you and know, you know, my patients feel the the respect I have for the human condition. Like, I don't think I'm any better than anybody else. Um, I'm just a slob trying to figure it out, too. So I think that that raises another question for me. So. We've had Justine Musk here, who was Elon Musk's ex-wife, to talk about the psychology of visionaries. But as a follow-up to that, I interviewed my old mentor, uh, Greg Hartle, who he said something I think that was a harsh dose of reality, but it was very true. He said, we don't acknowledge the role that talent and intelligence play in people's accomplishments nearly enough because he said that's not an inspiring story to say that, oh, Michael Phelps is Michael Phelps because he was born that way, because that's his physique and his genetics. Or the fact that most people are not going to be the next Oprah, Steve Jobs, or Beyonce. And yet, there's a sort of narrative in in popular culture. I mean, even if you look at, for example, somebody like Sarah Blakely's Instagram feed is incredibly motivating, incredibly inspiring. And let's be you know, harsh and real here, how many of the people who follow Sarah Blakely are going to follow in her footsteps? Probably not many, if any at all. and so I wonder, what, do you, what, what is your response to that? Do you think that there are certain levels of accomplishment like the Elon Musks that just are not accessible to people? Yes. 
Yeah, I do. Um, I think that we're born with aptitudes. And within that aptitude, like I was never going to become a theoretical physicist. Never. (laughs) It was never, you know, like I was never, ever, ever going to. It wouldn't have mattered how much heart I had, truly. And by the way, at 44, I don't see that as a... um, as a failure, right? Or even a shortcoming. I'm just like, okay, like move on from it. Um, so people have aptitudes. It's a hundred percent true. And, um, but I will say that, that most people that I work with, they overvalue the role. Like, let's say once basic aptitude is met, okay, basic aptitude, then within that spectrum, like I am somebody who has a basic aptitude for writing. I've never been trained, right? But I've got my own style and I think it works, okay? Um, Within this spectrum, the only thing that would stop me from writing a book is me, Mm -hmm. period. That question is done and over in my mind. And I'm okay if at the end of my life that, you know, if I don't get it done, I don't get it done. But it's on me. It's not the industry. It's not social media. It's not, I didn't have time. I have time for what I make time for. But again, I'm in the basic aptitude. So it's true. And that is, it's true. It is totally true. But what I see in my office is a lot of times people use this aptitude theory as a reason why like, oh, well, so why even start? Like, I'm never going to be that. And like, yeah, look, Elon Musk is Elon Musk because there's only one Elon Musk. And by the way, the world really sort of needs one Elon Musk and then a bunch of other people uniquely brilliant in their own way, right? All working together. Like we, it, it all works out. But I think you can have your version of whatever the gold ring is, mm. you know, like whatever that is, you can have that. Um, but it has to be realistically based. It's, you know, like I was never, you know, I, there was lots of things I was never going to do. I was never going to be a model. I'm five, three, like I, it was never going to happen. <laughs> um, so I do think honesty and knowing what your, where your assets lie. Mm. Wow. So let's use a concrete example. I think that likely people are going to be hearing this at the very beginning of the new year. And I think one of the goals that we all think we want at the beginning of a new year is, oh, I want to make more money this year. So let's say that I came to you and said, Sarah, I'm you know, basically choosing to work with you because this is a problem that I want to solve. Uh, this is a problem that has persisted in my life. And like, where do we start? Like, If I came to you and said that, what would you even say to me? If you came to me and said, I want to make more money? Yeah. I would be really honest and I would say the thing I said about destination stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would say that basically what I would say is I don't know whether or not you're going to make more money. I would certainly inquire about what profession the person was in. What's the ceiling? What what are we looking at as the, right? We're going to look at it tactically. Okay. Cause there's simple things people can do. Right. Um, but I would say, the work that we're going to do is looking at a, what are the motivations for making more money? If it's not survival, Mm -hmm. what's feeding it. 
what is that motivational source? Is it a healthy fuel or is it an unhealthy fuel? Because I don't want you to make more money if we're just going to like leverage shame and push you toward like that's not helping, right? No. So I want to look at the fuel source and I want to deeply understand your relationship to money. Where did it come from? How did you get informed around money? What shaped you as a kid? around money so that we can understand, okay, if you really just want to tactically earn more money, it's doable. There's more money to be earned out there. And so what's getting in the way? What is it inside of you that's getting in the way? I bet you it's not behavioral. You know, it's not that you're not putting your resume in the right places. Um, There's something else And that's the journey that we would go on. And then there'd be things I'd have you do throughout the time that would surface as I got to know you at a deeply individual level. But every human being that sees me hears this same shtick. And everyone, anybody that's listening is probably like, oh God, I know what she's going to say. I would encourage every person who wants to embark on any process of um, evolving to learn to sit still. Mm. Learn to be completely still in your own skin and bones and try to do it for 10 minutes, Godspeed, um, and then report back to me because that's the stuff I'm interested in that stuff sounds like you and i could potentially teach an entire course on this <laughs> totally <laughs> let's put it on our new year's resolution yeah list. i mean I, I, seriously maybe we should just teach a course together about the psychology of money i don't think you'd have any shortage of takers oh none and no shortage of data because it's one of the most um it is one of the most shaping factors we bump up against from the moment we come into the world from before just the medical care that money gains you access to shapes your relationship to money before you're even born wow wow so uh, i want to go back to something that you said at the beginning of our conversation about what your dad taught you and that was that we can survive far more than we think we can and yet i think that I know this from my own experiences is, is that I have a tendency to catastrophize, to think, okay, like the world is going to fall apart. I'm going to be screwed. I'm going to be 50 years old living at my parents' house uh, again. And uh, I, wonder, <laughs> I love that you add the again. I, the well, again is just like perfectly placed. It's, uh, you know, that's shame rearing its head. So, you uh, I mean, how I think that for a lot of people, often when I you know, have conversations like this, I think we all intellectually understand what it is you're talking about, but emotionally understanding it and really feeling it is an entirely different thing. So I know, for example, that every time I thought the worst was going to happen, things ended up being better. So for example, we were really kind of like, okay, how are we going to make more money this year? And suddenly, you know, Radio Public starts a venture fund to specifically invest in podcasts, and we literally fit all the criteria to the letter, and we raise our first round of venture funding. Suddenly it's overnight a game changer in terms of how we can think about running unmistakable. Mm -hmm. And yet six months before that, 
I was beyond stressed out about how things were going. Okay. So tell me the question. So the question is, even if we know that we can survive far more than we think we can, why don't we in the moment embrace that? How do we, how would we deal with that in the moment and actually live that way in the moment is really the question. Yeah. Such a great question. Um, Okay. So this is a great example where, um, and I see this a lot in high achieving people, present company included, which is that um, oftentimes we have a very sort of, um, we have like a a kind of love-hate relationship with control. And when we look at times in your life like that, right? Six months, you're so stressed out. The outcome ends up being exactly in your favor, right? So it's like, oh, this is where people get the theory of like the universe has your back. So here's the thing. The universe does, I don't think the universe has your back. I don't have any evidence that, you know, things are going to, we can orbit in that sphere. But what I do know is this, is that the outcome is going to be the outcome. And the only thing, and you don't know that outcome, you couldn't have known six months earlier that this turn of events would happen and that your vision would perfectly fit the vision of the venture people looking to dole out dough, right? You couldn't have known that Mm -hmm. because you don't, you're not a psychic. You're just a human that just can only see into right now, right? None of us really know the future. So the only thing you could ever really change would be how you orbit around the uncertainty of those six months. And that's where we can make a lot of inroads as we continue to do the work of self-awareness, self-reflection, all of that. You can actually change how you approach the stress, the, the perceived stress, right? Little did you know, you didn't even need to stress about that. You were blowing out your adrenals for zip because the universe was going to unfold a solution or time was going to unfold a solution that would perfectly fit your need. But you didn't know that. So this is about control and uncertainty. Mm. And that we can always, always grow on. I mean, arguably it's the thing, right? Yeah. It's at the core of like people's fears of death. It's at the core of hypochondriasis, right? Fears about the uncertainty of the outcome of really sort of life. Um, And these are many examples. Wow. Uh, I feel like I could do literally an entire part two with you because it seems like we focused entirely on the psychological aspects, but it seems like there's a part two here of, okay, what does this look like in practice for body and mind? I'm guessing that's probably a large part of this as well, right? Totally. Yes. And there's, um, you know, there's a lot that we do in the work as therapists and, you know, coaches and people working in this sphere that kind of unfolds in the process of the work, right? But yeah, there's a lot of like tactical stuff whenever I'm talking about like self-regulation and anxiety or stress. That's what that's what you were experiencing at a psychological level in those six months. And it has a whole body cost, 
right? It's not just that it makes us uncomfortable. The uncomfortable is actually the feelings. That's the only language your body has and the sensations. Um, communicating that like, you know, your brain is releasing certain chemicals, you're releasing cortisol, you're living on adrenaline. It's changing your physical stat, your physical experience. Um, it's, it influences us at a cellular level. So you can really enter in um, points of change at any turn on that dial. Mindfulness does it, food does it, hydration does it, sleep does it, uh, movement does it. Obviously, stillness, do, I mean, stillness changed me in ways that movement never could. And um, so there's loads and loads of tactical stuff, breath work. And, um, but the good stuff is oh. down deep Wow, where it's just you against you, right? In the end, it's just, if you've ever watched anybody die, and I have, especially if it's somebody you really, really love, you, there's a certain place in the process of death where the person has retreated to be deep inside themselves. They are really, really contending with themselves. And that's where this whole, all the good stuff takes place. Wow. Uh, I feel like I could actually talk to you for like another four or five hours uh, about all I do of this. too. Uh, so I want to finish with one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I know. And I'm like every other person that I, cause I listen to your podcast all the time. Um, and you know, I'm like, I'm not going to be caught flat footed. I'm going to come <laughs> up with something. I'm going to be, I'm going to come up with something that's just witty and fabulous. Um, but when I play the game and I just received the question, right. Um, what makes us unmistakable are all the parts of ourself that we think make us fucked up. They make us fucked up. They make us different. They make us, you know, stand out. All those things are what make us unmistakably us. And get to know those parts of yourself because it's the ticket. It's the whole thing right there. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your stories and your insights with listeners. This has been one of my favorite conversations that I've had this year. Uh, where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, and everything that you're up to? Okay. So my website is drdrsarasarkis.com. I can also be found on a monthly... I send out monthly blogs from there, the padded room. Um, also, I'm working with Stephen Kotler and the Flow Research Collective. We're doing really cool stuff too. So check them out. And I write a monthly column for him, Shrink Wrap, that goes out to his newsletter. So anybody that wants to sign up, sign up. And we sort of cover... I get to cover like you know, anybody that just listened to this will understand sort of the jive that you're going to get from me in that monthly column. And it's really fun and um, provocative. Hmm. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? 
Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. 
We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.